This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 106. Does God really want us to read the boring parts of the Bible? Times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians awake. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us again one more time for That's in the Bible, a podcast all about the Bible, different topics, different subjects, things that you can learn are amazing on some of the topics that we've covered. Um, And today is no exception. And for the answer to this question, I'm going to go to Pastor Stephen Bear. Pastor Steve, does God really want us to read the boring parts of the Bible? Yes, he does. Join us again next time as we present uh, episode 107, which will... Just just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Matt's got a study. Pastor Matt has got a study from the Arctic on does God really want us to read the boring parts of the Bible? And, and as we talked about before the podcast began, we put boring in quotes, right, Matt? That's right. I mean, it might be boring to some people, some parts of the Bible, but other parts uh, might be very interesting. I mean, you got people that read uh, whole entire dictionaries. Uh, that's boring to me, but some people love it. So. That's right. Amen. Yeah, I don't know many people that read the dictionary, but some people you would think that... I think Pastor Strobel do, does, doesn't he? Right. <laughs> not, from, not from front to back, although I went to um, high school with a friend of mine who did. Huh. Sounds like an interesting guy. Wow. Yeah. The um, <laughs> now, now let's be honest. There, there are some parts of perhaps Numbers and Leviticus that are really good, but not maybe not as good as riveting as some of the other parts of the Bible. Or, or am I out in left field on that? I guess no, I'm out left field on that. <laughs> Well, we're trying to wait for the Bible study there. (laughs) We don't want to take up all the material, so we probably better save this discussion for later. (laughs) All right. Well, it's a good study. We'll talk to you guys later. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Well, does God really want us to read the boring parts of the Bible? Before we get into that, just want to say hello to Pastor Strobel in Lockport, New York. Sir, how are you today? I'm doing fine by the grace of God. Thank you. And Pastor Stephen A. Bear, what's the, what's the A stand for, Steve? Uh, Alan. Alan. Stephen My Alan father's Bear. middle name. In beautiful West Seneca, New York. How are yep. things there? We're doing well. A little rainy, but uh, kind of taking care of some of the snow we've had for a few weeks. And hopefully it won't flood too bad, but we're doing fine. Amen. And Matthew, uh, up in the Arctic, uh, Point Hope, Alaska, to be exact. Amen. Doing good here. All right. Well, we actually just convened about a week ago to um, record episode 105, and that was Limits, What Are God's Limits? If you haven't checked that out, I suggest you take a Take a listen to that. But today we are going to do, uh, does God really want us to read the boring parts of the Bible? And before I spoil anything else, um, I figured we'd, uh, we'd go to you, Matt. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Well, amen. Thanks, guys, for being able to... Uh, be on the podcast, and it's just a blessing to be able to be here. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, start with a word of prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, just to be able to look into your book uh, one more time. Lord, it's just a blessing to be able to have life and be able to have breath and, Lord, be able to have uh, even eyesight, Lord, that we're able to read the Word of God, be able to look into what you have to say, Lord, on every single subject of our lives, uh, Lord, especially this subject. Lord, we thank you again for how good you are. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, the title of this message, uh, and it's a question, does God really want us to read the boring parts of the Bible? If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, go to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 9, 1 Chronicles chapter 9, and it says here in verse 1, so all Israel were reckoned by genealogies, and behold, they were written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, who were carried away to Babylon for their transgression. Anybody that's been reading the Bible, you know, for any length of time, knows the book of Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and other areas of the Bible. And here you have, uh, in Chronicles, uh, genealogies. And some people absolutely love, like I said, you know, we put the boring, the word boring, um, of course, showing that, you know, not everybody thinks it's uh, boring. That's why we put it in quotations. Some people love genealogies, right? Some people love reading names. Uh, Some people love math and and numbers and things like that, uh, but not everybody does. And so <clears throat> something that might be, you know, exciting for you <laughs> might not, might be totally boring for somebody else. But I believe a lot of people think that uh, genealogies are boring, especially in the Bible. And so here you have, you know, God saying that he's listing off the genealogies and uh, of Israel and Judah and everybody. If you'll go back to chapter 8, you'll see what I'm talking about. Chapter 8, verse 1. This is just a little of course, snippet of, of uh, different areas of Chronicles, but um, chapter 8, verse 1 of First Chronicles says, Now Benjamin begat Bela, his firstborn, Eshbel the second, and Ehera the third, Noah the fourth, and Repha the fifth, and the sons of Bela were Adar and Gera, and Abihud, and Abishua, and Naaman, and Ahoah. And you just go on and on. You can keep looking down the rest of the verses there, and um, and it's a lot of names. It's a lot of genealogies. So, you know, if you ever tried to read your Bible from front to back, you try to read your whole entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I read it just like a book. I read it from Genesis and then go all the way through and read it to uh, till I get to the end of the book to Revelation. I know other people have different Bibles, you know, plans. You know, they read uh, some Psalms along with the New Testament and the Old Testament in a day until they finish. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. You know, it's it's however you can to get through your Bible. That's fine. But uh, if you've been reading your Bible and trying to get through the whole entire thing, uh, you've most likely gotten to a crossroads in your Bible reading. And one path leads to you to c- continue reading your whole entire Bible until you finish the whole entire thing, until you read every single word in that book. That other road in the crossroads leads you to skipping certain sections of your Bible. And I think almost all of us have gotten to that point at one time or another, whether we want to admit it or not, you're reading through Chronicles and you're saying, well, look at all these names. I could just skim over this. You know, I, I you know, I'll just skip down until he's done listing off all these names because because does God really want us to read all these boring names? You know, does he expect us to? And how about the records uh, in the numbers, too, that you have? Uh, such as Exodus, you know, you got in the, the Exodus is an amazing book. Then you get towards the end um, and you get kind of, you know, the list for the tabernacle, you know, the pattern that God has for the, the tabernacle and the different, you know, numbers of different things that he wants in there and how he wants it done specifically. And you say, well, you know, does God really want me to read this? I mean, we don't have to build a tabernacle anymore. It's not that big of a deal, is it, God? You know? And uh, how about the book of Leviticus with all the sacrifices, you know, and you say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the Old Testament anymore. Uh, You know, Jesus Christ is my sacrifice. One, you know, he's made one sacrifice for our sins forever. You know, why why do I have to read all these different lists of sacrifices and all the things that would have to be sacrificed? Again, first and second Chronicles with all the lists of the king's names, all the genealogies and everything. So the question comes up. Does God really want us to read the boring parts of the Bible? Now, to answer that, let's first go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this podcast is all about that's in the Bible. And <clears throat> I know that we always uh, push and, and recommend and, and hopefully encourage everybody to get in their Bibles and to believe their Bibles and uh, of course, Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to increase your faith. Yeah, you, of course, you got to get into your book and your Bible. And uh, but, you know, I've talked to Christians even that 
you know, have said, you know, you know, I get to first, you know, Chronicles and I skip a whole lot of chapters. <laughs> I've even talked to Christians that have said, uh, I skip all of the book of first Chronicles or second Chronicles. And, and I tell them, boy, you miss a lot of good stuff in there. <laughs> it's not just names and things there. There's a lot of great, great things in there. And, uh, so again, is God okay with that? Is God okay with you skipping whole entire chapters, books, uh, certain names, and, and certain even just verses in your Bible? Or does he expect us to read everything? So look at me at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have to answer a few questions here first about God's book. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I think one of the main questions we have to answer to be able to answer this question is this. Did God write every single word for us to have, and did he make sure that he kept it perfect for us to read? I mean, you know, if, if I'm reading this book and I don't believe that God has kept a perfect book, if God, you know, has has written down the exact words he wants us to read, then sure, it's it would be even tougher to read the whole entire Bible, every single word that he's put in here. If I don't believe that every word in here is from God, then yeah, I would probably be like, oh, I'll just skip this, right? But it says here in verse 16, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God has made sure that every single word, every single scripture in here is from him. It's inspired by him. Look at verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's important. Look at me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, you could read the whole chapter. It's, a, it's an amazing chapter. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, and look with me here. We'll start in verse 20. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time but the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the prophecy of scripture uh, came not by man. It came by uh, by men that were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay, so holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They spoke it. God told them exactly what to say. And look what happens here. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you want to see some examples of this, 2 Samuel chapter 23. You know, you have... People that say all the time, well, the Bible was just written by man. The Bible is just man's words. Well, we just see right there that uh, in Timothy, that it's given by inspiration of God. And Peter there, that uh, the holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost to speak those things. And we'll see a couple examples of that. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 23 and look at verse 2. The Spirit, well, let's look at verse 1. Now, these be the last words of David, okay? Now, look at verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. So, David admitted that he was under the inspiration of God, that God was moving him to speak these things that were written. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. And Jeremiah chapter 1. And look what it says here in verse 9, Jeremiah chapter 1. And verse 9 says this, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. So again, here we've got another example of inspiration. Now look at me to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. So We've established here that God, when he has had his prophets and men of God and others uh, to be able to, to speak the words of God, it's not their words, it's God's words. And in Isaiah chapter 30, look at verse 8. It says, Now go, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. So not only did holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, God's words were in their tongue and they spake them, 
But then God said, okay, now I want you to write those words in a book. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And it wasn't just supposed to be just for that time period, these things that he spoke and had written down in a book. It says forever. And look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. So that's what we've got today. We've got the Bible. We've got the book of the words that God spake through holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, written in a book. Now look at me to Psalm chapter 12. And in Psalm chapter 12. In Psalm chapter 12, look what it says in verse 6. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now look what the first two words say there in verse 6. The words. Uh, that's plural. That's not just talking about the word, the, the basic idea of God's mind or thoughts. It's every single word in that book. The words of the Lord are pure words. And then look at verse 7. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation, David's generation, forever. So it lines up exactly with what we've already read, that God was going to have a book written down and it was going to be preserved forever for everybody to be able to read. Now look at me to Proverbs chapter 30. One book to your right here. Um, Proverbs chapter 30. And look at verse 5. Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his word words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be find, found a liar. So God has promised he'd preserve his words forever. And not only that, he said that he would not allow there to be any extra added words added into it. Now, we of course know there's a bunch of other different versions out there. Uh, we stick and stand by the King James Bible. We believe it's the perfectly preserved, inerrant words of the living God. We don't believe that uh, he's allowed man to take away from his words or to add to his words. He promised he would keep them pure, perfect forever. And so we believe that's in the King James Bible. And then we've got uh, different studies on that subject. We can You can look it up at any time. I'm not going to spend the time in it. But if you believe that now, if you believe all these things that God has said he would do and he promised he would do, uh, you can answer that question of, did God write every single word and then make sure he kept it perfect for us to read? You should be able to say, well, of course he did. Of course he did. Look, look with me to Revelation chapter 22, the very end of your Bible. And Revelation chapter 22, and look at verse 18. The Bible says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that were written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So, this is what you have. You either believe one of two things about the Bible. The first thing is, you believe that it is mostly what God wants us to have and that it contains God's thoughts and ideas, but you don't believe it's the exact word for word what God wrote to us. Do you either believe that? Or secondly, um, of course, there's others that just don't believe it, okay? But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Christians that want to read the Bible. Secondly, you believe that God says, um, I'm, I'm sorry, you believe what God says, that he would keep his book perfect, his words perfect. He'd have one book, that was his inspired, inerrant words of God. Nothing added, nothing taken away. Exactly what he wants you and I to have. Now, if you've got that answer, that right there, that you believe God will do exactly what he says he does, I believe it helps you in answering that question. Does God really want us to read every single uh, word in this Bible? Uh, and again, I believe the answer is yes. And the reason why is because he put every single word, whether it's names, whether it's places, whether it's numbers, whatever it is, he put every single thing in here, made sure it was perfectly preserved and sealed for us to be able to have for a reason, not just to be put there. Look at Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. And of course, this is where Jesus Christ is being tempted by the devil. And this is a truth given by God in human flesh, Jesus Christ. He says in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Jesus Christ gives us a command here. 
And he says we're supposed, and of course this is in the Old Testament too, but that we're supposed to live by every word, every word of God. Now, if he gave us that command, but he didn't keep every word perfect for us, then he'd be allowing us to sin. He, he'd be uh, um, making it so that we would sin and we'd have no way to be able to read it all. But again, he's kept every single word for us and he said that we should and we're supposed to uh, live by every word. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound uh, appetizing or pleasing all the time to read all of First Chronicles and all Leviticus and all that stuff in, in the book of Numbers. But God has put it in there for a reason, and he gives us the command to live by every single one of those words. Now look at Matthew chapter 12, and I got a question for you. Matthew chapter 12, and look at verse 36. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. The Bible says, But I say unto you that every idle word, every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So he says that every idle word, every one, every single one that you shall speak, you'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Now, don't try and tell me that God has preserved uh, and kept and kept a record of every single word that we have spoken uh, and it'll be brought up at the judgment, but he can't keep his own words and, and keep a record of his own words that uh, you're telling me that, and you have to answer that yourself. You, so you believe that he will keep every single word that we've said and bring it up at the judgment, but he won't, he won't keep his book perfect and preserved and keep his own words. He'll keep your words, but he won't keep his words. I don't believe that at all. Look at second Timothy again, chapter three, second Timothy chapter three. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So every single word in here is profitable, whether you believe it or not. Those, those names, boring parts that you think are boring, they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Um, I want you to see here that every single word in this Bible is profitable. And every word in scripture needs to be read if you want to be perfected. Because it says right there in verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You want to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works and be perfect for the Lord Jesus Christ? You got to read all scripture, verse 16. And you leave out some of those scriptures, uh, you can't be perfected. And uh, they're all profitable for you. Now look at me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, look what it says in verse 12. For the word of God is quick. Of course, that means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, what you see here is that every single one of God's words affects every single part of us. Your, your spirit, your soul, and your body. Now, you might not feel the effects of it, right? I mean, you know, if somebody took a, a physical sword to you and started cutting your flesh, you'd feel it. <laughs> and a lot of times we read this spiritual book and we can feel it, amen? I mean, you start reading some of this stuff and it cuts you at the heart. It cuts you, you know, your conscience is, is uh, being bothered by what you're reading because you're saying, wow, I need to do this. I'm not doing this or I am doing this and I shouldn't be doing this. God's showing me and it, and it starts cutting you and um spiritually and so you can feel those effects but there's sometimes many times that you're reading this book it says the word of god is quick and powerful and it affects your spirit soul and body and uh and it's it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart whether you believe it or know it is or not whether you can tell it is or not every single word in this book is quick and powerful and it does things to your spirit soul and body whether you even know it is or not and uh, it's like this. Uh, look me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And Psalm chapter 119. And verse 9. Psalm chapter 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments, thy word. Have I hid in my heart 
that I might not sin against thee. You know, his words can clean you up from the inside out. And you say, well, it's only, you know, it's only these certain words that'll help clean us up. How can you pick and say, well, uh, you know, if somebody came up to you and said, okay, if I want to be clean, I want to clean up my life. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Can you show me in the Bible what I should read, you know, to clean me up? And you could say, yeah, you know, go to the book of Romans. That'll tell you, you know, of course, how Paul, you know, dealt with the flesh. We're supposed to crucify our flesh, all that stuff. But after that, you know what we should do? We should say, hey, listen, the whole Bible, every word of God is quick and powerful and it's profitable to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works and be perfect. And it'll clean you up, not just, you know, Romans, not just Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, but First Chronicles, <laughs> because the word of God, every single word is pure and every single word of God is powerful. And so uh, when it says here that that word of God will cleanse his way, uh, it's not just certain parts of the Bible, it's the whole entire Bible. And it's not just talking about, you know, you might say, well, what words should I, you know, what words in the Bible should I read to be able to get cleansed? Well, there's no specific words. You can go to Romans chapter six, you know, if a Christian says to you, you know, listen, I want to be able to, you know, get rid of sin in my life. What do I have to do? What, what areas of the Bible should I read? What words should I read of the Bible? You know, you can tell them Romans six and, and Romans seven, where Paul's trying to, of course, get victory over the flesh and everything. And that would be good. But, but it says here that, uh, it's just the word of God. So you want to get every word in you because as we read in Hebrews chapter four, uh, the word of God is quick and powerful and all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works and be perfect. So it's not just certain words, but every single word. Look at Ephesians chapter five. It's just like, uh, you know, with having uh, like pills to be able to take vitamins, right? And, and vitamins here in the Arctic, we don't get a whole lot of sunlight during the winter hours. And so we have to supplement uh, our diet with vitamin D. And, you know, that's boring. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and you have to take some pills. And you're just like, oh, I, I don't even feel any different when I take the pills or don't take the pills. But I know I'm supposed to take them. And they, they have an effect on me whether I even feel it or not. And that's the same thing with the Word of God. Some of the stuff might seem boring. But, you know, it's just like taking a, a vitamin pill it's doing something to your spirit, soul, and body, whether you know it is or not. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So God will clean you up by the word of God. Look at me to Proverbs chapter 4. In Proverbs chapter 4. So his words affect your spirit, soul, and body. It can cleanse you. Uh, every single word will cleanse you uh, and have a part in that cleansing process, not just certain ones. And look at Proverbs chapter 4. In Proverbs chapter 4, look at verse 20. It says, My son, attend, unto my, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they, his words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. So again, you say, well, which words? Well, all his words. All his words are life and health to the flesh. So his words gives you life and health to your flesh. And you say, which words? All of them. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Of course, we know that the word of God is likened unto bread. And again, we were here, but let's go back there again. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Um, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And you look through there, uh, we're not going to go through all the scriptures, but um, this Bible, the word of God is likened unto bread, uh, unto food. So let's just say you, uh, you know, you're like, well, I'm not going to eat for, you know, 30 days. I'm not going to eat for 60 days, 90 days. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be frail. You're going to get down to, um, you know, you're, you're missing those nutrients and things like that. And, and the same thing goes with the word of God. And again, the other part uh, of the side also is if you don't eat a well-balanced diet, say you're just going to eat pizza and wings because they taste so good, right? You're just going to have pizza and wings for 60 days straight. You're not going to have any other, any other meal. It's just going to be pizza and wings, no fruit, no vegetables, nothing else. Boy, it might taste good. It might be exciting. But uh, you're going to start feeling the effects of it. Your body, parts of your 
um, liver most likely in different parts of your body are going to start having negative effects because of it. And I don't doubt because of what God says here in the Bible that if you're not reading all the Bible, not just the really exciting parts, but if you're not reading also those supposed boring parts of the Bible too, you're not getting a well-balanced diet. And uh, there's going to be problems in your spiritual life. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, look what it says in verse 15 here. This is Jesus Christ. He says in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. You know what I believe? If if we read every single word that he has written to us, and, and, and I believe you should read the Bible through at least once a year, at least. And, and I'm not just talking about certain parts. I'm talking about every single word in this book, in the King James Bible. I believe you should read at least once a year, uh, more if you can. And it says right here, if you love me, keep my commandments. And of course, his commandments is the word of God. And I believe if you read every single word, even if it's a slog to go through some days and hard to do, you know what you're doing? You're showing him how much you love him. When you're reading through that first Chronicles, you say, oh, come on, God, you really expect me to do it? You know what you should say? You should say, God, my flesh is suffering through this, but I know you have uh, perfectly preserved this book. You've done so much for me to be able to keep this book perfect, made sure every single word in here is what you want me to have. It's good for me. It's doing, it's affecting me and my spirit, soul, and body, whether I know it or not. Uh, So many people have given their lives to be able to have this thing for me to be able to have. And God, I just want to thank you. And I want to show you how much I love you and appreciate what you've done for me. I'm going to read every single word that you've written to me. Look at me to Psalm 119. I believe if we read every single word in this book at least once a year, if not multiple times a year, you're showing God how much you truly love him. Look at Psalm 119. You say, how can I show God how much I love him? Just be faithful to every word that he's given us. Psalm 119, look at verse 48. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I mean, you talk about a man of God that loved the Lord, uh, and, it, and it was inseparable. You know, you couldn't separate his love for God for his love for the word, for, for God's word. And that should be the same with us. If you love God, you're going to absolutely love every word that he gives us. Look at verse 52. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. Verse 57. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. What a great man of God, because he kept every single one of God's words. Look at me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. So uh, this is where we've gotten to so far. God, God made sure, number one, that every word he wants us to read was put into this Bible, and it's been kept perfect. Nothing's been added. Nothing's been taken away. It's exactly what he wants us to have in this King James Bible. Secondly, we see that God commands every single one of us to live by every one of his words in this Bible. And thirdly, we see that every single word in his Bible is profitable for us. And it's all needed to become, uh, all needed so that we can become perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. We also saw that every word in the Bible affects your spirit, soul, and body, whether you can tell it does or not. And um, reading every word shows Jesus Christ, our Savior, how much we love him because he wrote it to us. We spend time in it no matter what. And look at me here in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 14. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. 
you know what I believe when we see all the things that he's kept preserved, you say, why in the world would God have those names? I mean, just nonstop names in there. Why does he want us to see them and read them and, and I mean, read them multiple times a year? Why, why does he have those in there? Well, you know what it should do? It should encourage us that God keeps such precise records. I mean, not just of the nation of Israel and other nations, but us. You know what God does here? He keeps a record of every single one of our names that have received him as their Savior. And one day we're going to get to heaven and he's going to have our name written in that book of life. And we're not going to have to be cast into that lake of fire. I don't know about you, but thank God. Thank God for First Chronicles and Second Chronicles because it, it encourages us to remember, hey, listen, my name's written in that book of life. And if he keeps a record of these names, thank God he's going to keep a record of our names. Look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I mean, you see, um, you get a look into who the author of this book is, which is our Savior, which is which is our God, Heavenly Father. And uh, you see that he keeps precise records, which is exactly what he says he's going to do for us, for our names, if you're saved. Look at Luke chapter 10, look at verse 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Every time we read through those supposed hard parts, right? And uh, we should be saying, thank God, Lord. Not only did you write down these people's names, but you have my name written in heaven because I've received you as my Savior. Look at me to Malachi chapter 3, last book of your Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, look what it says in verse 14. Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. They uh, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. You know what? God shows us throughout this whole entire Bible that he keeps precise records. And it shows us that he'll never forget what we do for him. He'll never do it. Look at, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. You know, I love that hymn, uh, My Lord Keeps a Record. And it's all about encouraging ourselves to want to be able to live for him, to be able to, uh, you know, win uh, crowns for him, be able to cast at his feet, um, be able to win, uh, you know, precious jewels and gold and silver and all that for him. Uh, when we do good works for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And because he'll always remember. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Again, I'm just showing you all this because it shows us that God keeps all these records and it should encourage us when we read those you know, supposed boring parts that he keeps records. And it's good that he does. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You know, not only is God going to remember all the great works that you've done and have them written down in a book of remembrance, but he's going to remember all that time that you've spent and uh, uh, putting your flesh down, sacrificing your flesh, crucifying your flesh by reading uh, the, the, you know, parts of the Bible, the names and the genealogies and, and the numbers and the different sacrifices and things, he's going to have that recorded that, listen, I know you didn't like to do that, but you wanted to spend time with me and do what I asked you to do. And that, you know, I'm, I, that means a lot to the Lord. I know it does. Look at Psalm 103 and that'll be written down in heaven. And, and I believe we'll get to heaven and he'll bring out his book of remembrance and say, remember this date? Remember this date down there, you could have, you know, gone out and enjoyed the nice weather or you could have done this with friends or, or whatever, but you knew that you had to read your Bible and you wanted to read your Bible and uh, you were in Chronicles. <laughs> you could have skipped it, but you loved me so much 
And, and that means so much to me that you took that time to read through it. Look at Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You say, why are you going to this verse? Well, it should be encouraging to us to know that not only does he keep precise records of everything, but also he gets rid of uh, uh, certain records. And the only records he gets rid of is our sin if we receive him as our Savior. And I want you to see that. It says right there, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know, in John one twenty nine, God says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The only thing that God will ever forget uh, is our sins. Our sins, if you receive Christ as your Savior, he'll forget our sins. And uh, I love that uh, hymn. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. But I love that hymn, What Sins Are You Talking About? And the chorus goes like this. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. From the book of life, they've all been torn out. I don't remember them anymore. I'd just like to encourage you, if you're saved, thank God. Not only does God keep precise records, but he gets rid of the records of our sin. And if you're listening to this right now and you've never received Christ as your Savior or you're not sure that you're on your way to heaven, God keeps precise records of your sin. And uh, you're not getting to heaven with those records. Look at, Hebrew, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 4. All throughout the Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking about the Old Testament and talking about how those Old Testament sacrifice, sacrifices could not take away sins. And look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Look at verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And look at verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Thank God for that. Thank God that if you receive Christ as your Savior, yes, he remembers everything that you've done for him and, and keeps precise records. But the great thing is that he forgets the sins and iniquities that we've done past, present, and future because he's thrown them into the lake of fire. Uh, last scripture here. Look with me to Revelation chapter 20. We'll be done. Revelation chapter 20. I just want to talk to somebody that has never received Christ their Savior before, ha doesn't know for sure they're on their way to heaven. This here in Revelation chapter 20, this is a judgment that you will appear to. Revelation chapter 20, and um, look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Now these dead, uh, if you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and verses 5, it's talking about that God, of course, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are quickened and made alive by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so the dead here are not the saved. The dead here are those that are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's if you've never received Christ as your Savior, this is your judgment. And I saw the dead. That's you if you're not saved. Small and great stand before God. And the books, again, here's all the records of your sin, were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell were deliver, uh, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You, if you're not saved, need to have your sins forgiven, forgotten forever by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to have your name written in that book of life where God keeps precise records for all of eternity. And the only way to be able to do that is know you're a sinner, realize you're a sinner, and of course, be absolutely uh, just so sorry for your sins and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell, 
But Lord, I know you died on that cross for my sins. You were buried, you rose again, and that your blood can wash away all my sins. Lord, please, I, I accept you and only you alone. No works I could ever do, no baptism, nothing. Lord, please save my soul. I'm believing on what you did for me on the cross. Lord, please save my soul. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you believe that in your heart, when you say it, then you are saved on your way to heaven. You have your sins forgiven, forgotten forever by God, and your name is written forever in heaven. And praise God for that. And we are all praying, if anybody's listening to this is not saved, that you would truly, truly pray about that and, and eventually do that so you can be saved and a child of God. So again, does God really expect us to read every single part of the Bible, even the boring stuff? And the answer is yes. God made sure every word he wanted us to read was put in here, perfect, preserved forever. God commands us to live by every single one of these words. Every single one, one of these words in the Bible is profitable and it's needed for us to be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. Every word in the Bible affects your spirit, soul, and body, whether you know it or not. And reading every word of God shows them how much we love them. And it should make, mean a great deal to you that he keeps precise records. It should encourage you when you read those parts of your Bible that, thank God, he remembers every single thing we do. All right. Thanks, guys. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. A good study. Good study. And I Amen. think it's a study that maybe some people, you know, don't even think about. But, you know, it's one of the things that uh, as we read through our Bibles, we're going to hit those spots where we might consider, eh, maybe I'll just skim through this. And uh, those are some very good reasons why um, you wouldn't do that. But let's go to the pastors. Uh, Pastor Stephen Bear. Yes, sir. Well, uh, good Good Bible study, Matt, and I appreciate that. And, and you know, I know you said this uh, this uh, phrase, I guess, from the Word of God, every word of God is pure. And you've said it there, and I've, I'm saying it again, and it, it bears repeating over and over and over again uh, that every word of God is pure. The Bible is a real book. Uh, it's not a fable. It's not some figment of our imagination or, or some man's imagination. It's uh, It's a real book. Uh, with real people, with real events that took place that God recorded. And um, it's important for us to know that. And, and I guess the other thought is is that, that of all the things, you know, there's a verse in John, uh, John chapter 21 and verse 25. And, of course, this is written about Jesus Christ, but you could still make it apply to the whole Bible. In verse 25 it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if uh, they should be written every one, I suppose that uh, even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Now, with that in mind, of all the things that were done by Jesus Christ, and, and not only that, but all the things that were done by David and Abraham and Elijah and all the things that were done, you know, if you think about it, God condensed everything into a book that we could read, as you've already suggested, at least once a year and uh, God's condensed all that and if you think about it even with these lists and all these things that you talked about if God thought to put them in the Bible that we have in our hands then they must be important they're there for a reason as I think you've already stated let me let me just uh, finish with this and it's kind of an example of what you're talking about uh, there are answers that are found in lists and uh, let me just let me just draw you one small example of that. If the people would take their Bible and turn to First Samuel chapter 15, First Samuel chapter 15, you've got the event of David uh, is losing his kingdom to Absalom, and there's a gentleman there that's mentioned. And take a look in verse 12. And Absalom sent Ahithophel the Gileadite or Gileadite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo. Uh, while he, uh, he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. So here you've got a man by the name of Ahithophel, who was a counselor of David, who is now taking sides with Absalom. And the question has to be asked, why would somebody who was a, a counselor of David turn against him? Now, there's a reason for that. 
And uh, take a look at verse 31 of that same chapter, chapter 15. Verse 31, And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And he does some things to, to counteract that. We're not, that's not the important thing. I want you to take your Bible now and go to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Here we have a list of David's mighty men. And he's going through, and you've got a list of all these guys, and he's going through all of this list. And take a look there in verse uh, 34. It says, Elithalet uh, was the son of Hashabai, uh, and the son of, Mal uh, uh, of, I'm sorry, the son of the Malachite. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileadite. Now, there you find that uh, Ahithophel has a son by the name of Eliam. And it uh, identifies Ahithophel as being the Gileadite. So now take your Bible and go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And you'll find out the reason why Ahithophel was upset with David. And why he turned against him. And David uh, sent and inquired after the woman. It's talking about Bathsheba. Uh, when she was on the rooftop and he saw her and he's, he's inquiring of her. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And you wonder why Ahithophel turned against David? Because his granddaughter was the one that was uh, violated by David in his sin. And you wouldn't know that unless you went to a list... <laughs> One of those boring Amen. parts to find out how all of that was pieced together. And there are a Amen. lot of puzzles like that in the Word of God, and uh, they're hidden in lists. They're hidden in genealogies. They're hidden in a lot of these things. And, and the only way you're ever going to find them out is if you take time to read them. So just one little example there to show why the lists are important and that you need to read even the boring parts. Amen. Amen. Pastor Strobel. Yes, amen. Uh, to, to answer the question simply, which has been answered um, emphatically about reading the quote-unquote boring parts of the Bible, uh, to me the definitive uh, verse that deals with it is uh, the one Matt quoted from Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 4. But he answered and said, it is written. So this is Jesus answering, quote in the Old Testament from uh, Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live emphasizing that word live at the moment, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if you don't pay attention to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you're you're missing out on God's life-giving forces and, he, and his life more abundantly. Um, you know, somewhere along the line, you just need to give God credit for knowing what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is his book. Uh, he put in there what he wanted uh, to impart to us and there's a lot of ways in which the Bible kind of mimics life. You know, some parts of life are exciting and some are boring, but all are necessary. Amen. Amen. I was thinking about um, uh, Dr. Ruckman used to give testimony about reading his Bible through, and he was talking about uh, one time he's getting to Chronicles, and he just started, you know, skimming over it in First Chronicles, you know, the genealogies and so forth. And uh, while he's doing that, he got under conviction. And the Holy Spirit he seemed to say to him, uh, Hey, you've been telling people you've been you've read your Bibles, you know, Bible through, you know, such and such amount of times, and uh, you're not reading it at all. You're really not reading it through that many times. And so he went <laughs> back and started reading every word in First Chronicles, and he got to chapter four and verses nine and ten that talks about Jabez. And in verse ten, you got Jabez uh, praying, and he's saying, "Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast." and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from the evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. And that thing is nestled right in the, in, in, in sandwich, and nestled right in between a bunch of genealogies. And he said um, what he realized was, if he hadn't uh, read every word, he would have missed the blessing. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. And, I mean, I get to First Chronicles, and really the genealogies, you know, only last about nine chapters. But um, the first nine uh, or so, and, and I, I get to there, and to me it's 
when I'm getting to a place like that or one of the other places in the Bible that may be a little bit more boring or technical, it's almost like when I get there I can even relax a little bit and catch my breath. Um, you, you, you read it, you go through the words, you, you go through the names, you pay attention, and, and you, if, you, know, you try to take in what you can, but I don't know. It's, it's just a strange thing. I, I guess one of the reasons is that Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, he said, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. He said this, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And I realize no matter where I'm reading in the Bible, I mean, the Bible is imparting life to me. So, Amen. so whether, whether it's a genealogy you know, or the details of the tabernacle, or the blood on the big toe in Leviticus, or, or the 12 times that the offerings are repeated yes. um, in Mass in Numbers chapter 7, through all yes. those verses, or the details of Solomon's temple in Second Chronicles, or the details of the Millennial temple in um, Ezekiel, or, or whatever. I mean, it's like being plugged into a spiritual battery charger when I'm in there, and it's just, I know it's doing me good. Um, Amen. I, I think about, uh, you know, the Lord talks about in Ephesians 5.26, the washing of water, uh, by the word. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to reading the Bible, some people get so frustrated if they don't, quote unquote, get something out of it every time they read it. And they wonder, well, what's the, why am I even bothering? But here's what you need to realize and understand. You don't always have to get something tangible out of your Bible reading in order for it to benefit you. When it comes come to that washing of water by the word, I think about a little boy, you know, I've been out playing and gets all dirty, and mommy makes him go take a bath, and that boy might go into that bath kicking and screaming, not enjoying it at all. But when he comes out, he's a cleaner boy. <laughs> it, it'll wash you, Amen. even if you're in Chronicles. Uh, Matt was talking about it being like, you know, bread, like food for us. The scriptures are food. And when it comes to eating, there are certain meals that I eat that are more memorable and more enjoyable but every one of them, you know, they strengthen and sustain me. And so, I, I mean, it's just, it's, the Bible is loaded. And I'll give you one last thing. Um, early on, I, I learned to pray a certain prayer when I'm reading and studying the Bible. And it's a, it's a scripture. But it's Psalm 119, verse 18. And it's, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And I, I encountered that early on in my Christian life, and I took it uh, so seriously that sometimes, especially when I was just starting out reading the Bible, when I would come to a place that wasn't making sense, I would stop right there, bow my head, and I would just pray, Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And I'm talking about, I mean, made, I made those words my words. I, it was not vain repetitions or, uh, you know, praying somebody else's prayer. I mean, I, I wanted the Lord to do it. And sometimes I'd get light right then, and, and sometimes later you know the light comes but uh, let me encourage you to try that try try praying that from your heart as you approach the bible to read it and, and to study it and uh, it, you might just find uh, you wind up getting uh, more out of it and uh, it's a good thing to get stuff out of it but then remember again even if you don't uh, you're going to be a cleaner christian amen 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 and if i could just add you know that um you know i approached the bible even from the beginning that I needed to read it all. And I did hit those spots. I did hit the spots in um, Leviticus and Numbers and, and other places where it was tough going. And, um, you know, as my wife and I read the Bible together, uh, and when we hit those spots, one of the things that God has taught, I think both of us from reading those spots, is, boy, God's really a God of detail. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, ch- chapter and pomegranate and chapter and pomegranate. I mean, <laughs> Those are he's very detailed about what he wants to say and what he does. And that was that built my faith to think that, you know what, he took the time to 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 put all these things down in in, in excruciating detail sometimes. But it's I think it was for their benefit at the time and certainly our benefit. And for me, if nothing else, I realize that God is a God of detail and he says what he wants to say and he means what he says in, in, in the way he says it. And, and as we read through the Bible, one of the things that, that I noticed that, that there were two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and they didn't apparently take his detail to heart because they offered what is called a strange fire before the Lord and they were killed. 
So mm-hmm. I think about that today. I think about people that say, oh, you know, and, and they're not Bible readers or perhaps not even Bible believers. But when you talk to them, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm spiritual. Well, you, you know, you can't be spiritual without being scriptural. And Amen. that's because God is a God of detail. He, you know, you can't worship God without worshiping him in spirit and in truth, according to John 4, 24. And I, when I first started attending church, and that was actually in Lockport when Pastor Phillips and, and Brother Bear were there, Pastor Phillips had a podium, or a, it's not a podium, what's it called? Is it a podium? Pulpit. 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 And, and on the front of the pulpit, he had John 17, 17, and it's the first verse I really learned because I saw it every day because it was on the front of the pulpit. And it was, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if you're going to get truth, if you're going to be a spiritual person, you have to, you have to follow the Bible. And, you know, that's where cults and, and quote unquote religions, they go off base is when they start to deviate from the Bible and they put traditions and practices above the Bible. That's when there's trouble. There's trouble, trouble brewing when you're not following the Bible, whether it's in your personal life or whether it's in quote-unquote, a religion. As soon as you deviate away from the Bible, you're in trouble. And just one other thing. I would recommend that uh, when you hit those long genealogies or the the parts of the tabernacle, and, and if, you know, sometimes it's easy to um, to lose focus. One of the things that I do is I'll listen to someone reading the Bible. And you can do that for free, earnestlycontendingforthefaith.com. has Alexander Scorby reading the entire Bible. So sometimes, just to keep my attention and focus on the Bible, and to see how some of these names are pronounced, Amen. I will listen to Scorby, and I'll, I'll read along with him as he reads. And you can anyone can Amen. do that at earnestlycontendingforthefaith.com, Alexander Scorby. But great great study, Matt, and, and it's, I think Amen. it's helpful. Amen. And and I'll just add real quick, uh, one of the reasons why you ought to read even the quote-unquote boring parts um, of the scriptures is because that's in the Bible. Amen. <laughs> 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 Where's my drum could I, add, uh, could I add a testimony just uh, with regard to this? You know, Matt made mention, you know, a lot of times you don't realize that the Bible is working in you and so forth. And when I first started reading, some many of you have heard the testimony, and maybe some of you haven't, but I was uh, functionally illiterate when I got saved and, and didn't like reading, hated reading. And um, when I first started uh, reading the Bible, I was picking and choosing places and so forth. And obviously, being underneath the, uh, the teaching of Dr. Ruckman and so forth, it was encouraged to read your Bible. And so I was making a concerted effort, and it was long and uh, it was it was hard for me to to read through the Bible, but you know you never think that it's doing anything in you because my comprehension was so poor, and uh, reading anything and so forth. And so I I I made a concerted effort to read the Bible, and uh, uh, when I finished, you know I thought, well, you know, that was kind of a wasted uh, enterprise because I, I don't remember much. And then all of a sudden, things started happening. People were saying things, and all of a sudden, I remembered where it was. Out of thin air, I just remembered where it was. And, and um, you know, other things that started to click and, and uh, knew where this place was, knew where that was. And all of a sudden, things started happening where I was understanding the Word of God. And I, I attribute that to the fact that I read it, and God had it in my heart and in my brain where he could use the Holy Spirit to call it back to memory when I needed it. And uh, it was all because I read the word and every word. It wasn't going around picking and choosing. So as these other fellows have already mentioned, I would encourage people to read every word because it will do something in you and uh, work effectually in you that believe. So Amen. support for that. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, Pastor Stroll. I know you want to say something. I, I said amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd like to thank you for joining us today for That's in the Bible. And, um, you know, there, as far as the boring parts go, 
there's much there's much more to it and there's many more exciting parts to the bible than there are quote-unquote boring boring parts to the bible so we, we'd encourage you if you have not been reading your bible uh start today nothing like today to get started on on, on your bible. amen and um yes, You'll you'll be amazed at the some of the things that you'll find in there, and some of the common expressions that we use every day that are found in the Bible, and we've got a podcast on that as well. So we'll put all that in the show notes for you. But we want to thank you again for joining us. Thank you for Pastor Strobel, Pastor Bear, Pastor Sutton, Matthew up there in the Arctic for you guys joining us. And Lord willing, we'll see you again soon next time. Amen. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. Shall rise.